I saw it as saving our town almost. The internet is everything at this point. This is episode 212 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. Welcome, I'm Lisa Gonzalez. Gail Garrett joins Chris for this week's show. Gail is on the select board of Mount Washington, Massachusetts, a small community in the extreme southwest corner of the state. She's been instrumental in the town's initiative to deploy their own fiber to the home network to improve local connectivity and to ensure the future of this small rural town. Mount Washington recently received a state grant to help fund their project. Due to their unique circumstances, they have had some special considerations and challenges. In this interview, Gail describes their journey to better connectivity, and she also discusses the nuances of the New England community approval process. Now here are Chris and Gail Garrett from Mount Washington, Massachusetts. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell. Today I'm speaking with Gail Garrett, a member of the Select Board of Mount Washington in Massachusetts. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Well, Gail, as we were just talking about, as we did a little pre-interview, you are probably from the smallest town we've had on the show. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about Mount Washington for those who haven't been out there? Mount Washington is located in, on the corner of Connecticut, Massachusetts, and New York. Uh, the southwest corner of Massachusetts. Uh, We only have about 145 full-time residents, um, about the same number of homes or buildings, um, and many, many of our people here, uh, the households, about 146 households, many of them are weekenders, summer people, part-time, we have some hunting cabins. It's a very uh, small, unique community. And in Massachusetts parlance, uh, a town doesn't just mean like Main Street and the houses right around it, right? You're a full geographic area that may have very rural um, pockets within it, right? Uh, we are extremely rural. We have no cable out here. Uh, our at- internet is very limited. We either have HughesNet, Wild Blue or Y-Spring, which is a radio frequency. My internet is on a radio frequency, and I have one of the best internet on the mountain, but uh, that is sporadic with the weather. So we are very, very limited um, in TV and internet. And so what are you planning to do about that? Several years back, we had uh, a plan designed by G4S to blanket the town with Uh, fiber. Each home would have its own separate fiber strand, and it will have the capability for IPTV and voiceover telephone services. It's uh, active Ethernet, star topology. So we have worked off of that initial plan. The initial plan, like I said, blanketed the town. But unfortunately, that would have cost us over $1.2 million to do. I took that plan and I modified the plan to eliminate all the areas where we really didn't need to go. For example, there's one area that's two miles out with really bad poles and would have cost us almost $100,000 to go to one entity. So we eliminated that. We eliminated areas where there were no takers. About 60 people in our town don't want service, don't need service, or won't pay year-round the cost to support the system. 
So for me, it was all about the budget. We did a survey, and we asked who was willing to pay year-round um, about 100 bucks a month uh, for Internet and telephone. And we found that out of about 146 people, 87 are willing to do that. Uh, so by eliminating all the people that weren't willing to pay, we cut back on the construction cost and poll application fees, poll maintenance fees, and annual maintenance. But I would urge other towns to first figure out your budget and then figure out who's going to help you pay for it. That makes a lot of sense. Um, one of the, the questions I had is if I had a weekend place up there, I think I might be willing to consider uh, paying. Do you have any weekend folks that are chipping in? Very few people that are just weekenders are willing to pay this. It's about $120 a month year-round for Internet and telephone. People that are real weekenders don't really want to pay that. I suppose, you know, when you go to a place like Mount Washington, you're not looking to sit inside and sit on the Internet watching Netflix all day. Exactly. You're tr- looking for a break from it. Um, so you, you'd mentioned, um, and I think it's worth emphasizing, um, you know, you, you feel like your plan and your approach is pretty specific to Mount Washington being a unique community. Uh, you know, what additional factors uh, should people be aware of in terms of just how unique Mount Washington is? Well, for example, uh, an adjacent town to us, has about 10 times the number of residents we do. So they they have volume going for them, which we don't. However, um, we we do not have a lot of wires on our poles, so our make-ready costs will be minimal. We also don't have competition. So I would be very concerned in other towns about their make-ready cost and competition. What I did was I figured our budget and then I backed into it, you know, what are we going to need people to pay to support it? And I had them sign a three-year commitment at that rate to take the service and pay for the service year-round at that rate. Um, And they also are contributing, each person is paying $300 as a startup fee uh, toward their installation costs. So, um, and even people donated money to our cause. We are so unique. We have no competition and we have little to nothing on our polls, meaning we have a low make-ready cost. But also a big concern for other people needs to be undergrounds. We have a lot, some unknown costs in our construction and that could you know, throw some you know, extra numbers in there. Sure. And, you know, when it comes to underground being up in your area, I suppose you can always run into granite, which is a little bit of a hassle. Oh, yeah. We haven't. Uh, ledge could be an extra cost. Undergrounds that aren't viable will be an extra cost. We've figured into our plan an extra $26,000 for potential bad undergrounds. And make ready is a huge cost, a huge time constraint. Um, and I know other towns, several, we are unique in having very little on our poles, having very little cost in that respect. What happens if um, one of the people that's decided not to take service, a home that's not connected, not in the plan, uh, you know, someone, they sell that home and someone moves in who would like to figure out a way of getting connected? Is there a process for that new family to get connected? There will undoubtedly be a process. And our plan does incorporate, it, it was designed for expansion. 
and to cover all future homes and current homes. So uh, odds are, you know, if they pay the same down payment and sign a three-year agreement, um, they will be hooked right in. However, if they had the opportunity to hook in initially and didn't, they may have to pay kind of an extra charge for, you know, what it's going to cost us extra for a special uh, truck coming out to, you know, hook them in. Sure. But we haven't, we haven't quite finalized our policy about the future um, because, you know, you can't anticipate all the various scenarios that will occur. Um, but, you know, undoubtedly we will be hooking people in after the fact and try to be as fair as we can to everyone. One of the things I'm curious about is the town meeting processes you, you tend to go through. I mean, I think you know, I, I have to assume that the people in your town are very well informed about uh, this. They were they took an active part in, in decision making, I'm guessing. You know, for people who haven't been out in New England, um, can you describe how you go about, you know, getting the community educated and making these decisions? <laughs> it's a brutal process. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I believe it. <laughs> It's not pretty, but it's it's actually inspiring in a lot of ways. <laughs> I do not like the town meeting process, I have to tell you. Okay. Um, but we have a very, very informed electorate, let me tell you. We, you know, this town is, uh, people are very smart, they're very independent. So we have the town meeting, you have to, uh, the select board has to sign a warrant uh, to call a town meeting. So, and we sign a warrant and we put on the warrant what we want the town to approve or not. Oftentimes, we've gone to the finance committee to uh, tell us whether they endorse it or not based on finances. Uh, uniquely, I think we didn't, on broadband specifically, on the plan that we had, um, the finance committee hadn't weighed in. You know, I have to tell you, if this was happening one way or another, I have a feeling that it would have happened regardless. Um, for me, it was just a matter of beating back the cost and not paying unnecessarily in cost. Um, but anyway, we called the town meeting to endorse a plan which, in essence, says for about 21 miles of broadband, we're going to uh, pay no more than uh, 700 grand to install it and maintain it. And uh, so we signed a warrant, called people to come in, we were going to take $250,000 from our savings, borrow $450,000, anticipating that we would get 230000 from the state toward this. It was unanimously passed. However, there was, you know, and I'm summarizing that, mm -hmm. but it wasn't quite in that form for the town meeting. What happened, and you can see on our archives, in our, our town archives on our website, You'll see what happened at the meeting. It was very, it's very interesting. Who shows up to the meeting? How people vote? I can pretty much, I pretty much can tell exactly who voted and how, um, who showed up and why, um, who will vote for something and who won't. Um, it's very, very telling, um, but it's very interesting. It required a two-thirds vote to pass it. Prior to the meeting, it wasn't quite in that form. And there was a floor amendment to add costs to the budget that I had designed. Now, I had done the broadband plan, and it didn't have a certain section in it for pretty much one house, 1 1.2 miles out, 
Um, <laughs> and the town voted to add that to the budget, which it wasn't in the budget. And the reason it wasn't in the budget was because, it was, to me, it was more appropriate to have that house join into the adjacent town and save us a significant amount of money. Okay. But certain people in town voted against economics, put it that way, right. uh, to add that house in, which I wouldn't have done personally. It, you literally have to beat the bushes out here. If you want something passed, you need to get your people to the meeting. Welcome to politics, right? <laughs> Welcome to po- Oh, it's, you know, all politics is local politics. It's not for the thin-skinned you know, one of the things that you mentioned is that this was going to happen one way or another. And I want to dig into that because one of the things that, that I've come across and I and I know is untrue, but I want to get your reaction to it um, from people often in capitals, like um, whether it's uh, whether it's Washington, D.C. Or, or urban areas like Boston, is that people in rural areas either have no use for or don't understand why the Internet is important. But you're suggesting that there was tremendous demand in Mount Washington. And I'm just curious, you know, how you reconcile that kind of urban perception of rural demand. Well, see, many people talk about broadband being an economic issue. For us, there is no economy in Mount Washington. For me, it was a matter of education. Our town literally is a dying town. Uh, We have very, very few people here, few people moving in. Uh, We literally have no bodies to take jobs in town. I mean, I, I hold several hats. I'm a select board member. I'm the town clerk. I'm on the board of registrars. I head that up. I'm on the school committee. I mean, we literally have no one to take these jobs, no bodies in town. Um, So I saw broadband as a way of helping us maintain our viability, pure and simple, and to bring people in to buy property here and and have some bodies. Um, I didn't see it as an economic thing because we have no economics out here. We have no businesses per se. I saw it as saving our town almost. To me, it's an educational thing. I think it is um, essential for education. The Internet is everything at this point. Um, It's education, and I see it as the future of our school system. It was very favored here for those reasons. Was this something that uh, you had to do a lot of work educating people? Is that what you're saying? Or did people generally get it and you just had to figure out how to make it cash flow? It was going to happen one way or another because most people wanted it and the most vocal people wanted it and the the more progressive people wanted it. Um, For me, it was just a matter of making sure we didn't spend unnecessarily. Now, how is it that the state was contributing? Most states don't tend to contribute to these sorts of local projects. Governor Deval Patrick, the, uh, the predecessor to Governor Baker, um, had designated about $50 million for rural broadband and had set up the Mass Technology Institute to effectuate that and, and distribute those funds. So money had already been earmarked at the state level to do this. Unfortunately, it got bogged down in administration along the way and then with Governor Baker, I think he, you know, renewed the help to that organization and, 
and revamp the administration and really put it more on a fast track um, to help these local towns. Governor Baker, I have to say, has really partnered with towns in Massachusetts to help them. Um, and, it, and he has really changed the administration at the Mass Broadband Institute to help the towns do this. Um, we had been earmarked for $230,000 out of that fund to help us. And he kind of fast-tracked that because, in essence, we're ready, willing, and able to do it. Well, and then one other thing you needed was the permission of the legislature. Now, you know, I think for people who aren't always familiar, I had thought Massachusetts had more home rule characteristics. Uh, why did you have to go to the legislature? Because the state had enacted a statute that set, implied, anyway, that we had to have a municipal light plant in order to do this, to do broadband. And we did not want to set up a municipal light plant because it would just add one more layer of administrative costs and administration. Again, we have nobody to do all these jobs. We try to do things at a much uh, reduced cost. So we saw the municipal light plant as just more administrative costs and fees and effort and legal fees and unnecessary for our town. So we applied to the state to exempt us from that requirement. Great. And they obviously agreed. And now you're able to move forward. What's the timeline for completing the network? It all depends on how quickly National Grid and Verizon um, review our poll applications and tell us you know, what we need to do to the polls to accommodate our line. Um, that could be, could be six months worth of just National Grid and Verizon. I'm hoping that it's much less, but it, we're allocating nine months to the total project. Uh, three months is the maximum solely for our contractor once National Grid and Verizon do their thing. We've already hit a snag, and the first snag has been that it turns out, you know, we were looking at uh, Corning Fiber, um, which has a 25-year warranty. And Corning actually happens to come not far from you, just in upstate, uh, upstate New York. Well, but it's going to take 52 weeks to get any Corning Fiber. <laughs> that's a problem. Yeah, yeah, that's and definitely And then the next problem. alternative is OFS, which I understand also is near us. That'll take 28 weeks. Um, so somebody needs to get on the uh, production of fiber. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's actually, I, I would suspect your problem is that you're looking for a small order. I think, you know, those, they tend to prioritize, I'm guessing, orders from Verizon, from Google, from AT&T, um, you know, the big, the big buyers. And so when you're trying to get a small order, they think they just feel like they can jerk you around a little bit. Well, maybe you, you might have hit on to something that maybe we need to contact a larger company and get it through them and be part of their purchase. Uh, luckily, Mass Broadband has extra fiber available and might be able to sell us their excess. Uh, so that's probably what we're going to need to do is hook up with someone of a much bigger you know, order. 
Yeah, that might be. I mean, I, I'm I'm purely speculating, but that's something that I think we've seen in the past is that, uh, you know, these places like Corning may just have to everything that they produce for a certain period of time may be going toward a big order. So, um, ah. the way the industry works sometimes, unfortunately. Well, maybe we'll be able to buy the excess from people, which yeah. that would, you know, uh, win-win for everybody. <laughs> no doubt. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show to tell us more about Mount Washington and your network. Well, thank you for having me. That was Chris and Gail Garrett from the Mount Washington, Massachusetts Select Board discussing their Fiber to the Home project. For more, check out the Mount Washington tag at muninetworks.org. We have transcripts for this and other Community Broadband Bits podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter, where the handle is at muninetworks.org. Thank you to the group Roller Genoa for their song Safe and Warm in Hunter's Arms, licensed through Creative Commons, and thank you for listening to episode 212 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Mm-hmm.